Today's reading is from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I'll be reading from the New International Version, so follow me along or read it along with me in the scripture up as it is in the screens above. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana, Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they they filled them to the brim, and then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wines first, and then the cheaper wines after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best for now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. My mom had a sixth sense for anything that might be called in the category of a social faux pas. Anybody else have a mom like that? When I was, uh, I, I believe I was four years old, my mom, I want to say this, I'm going to talk about her a bit today because there's this connection here with Jesus and his mom. And um, she was a wonderful woman. And um, one, of, one of the things that she would do, just because it was the right thing to do to her, is that she would go and visit uh, particularly older widows and shut-ins. And that, that was the phrase anyway that they used back then. And so she would, when I was four years old, she would take me with her, and um, I can still remember some of those visits. And I remember going to a, one particular house, and she told me before we went in that uh, Mrs. Keeler, I think was her name, she only had one leg, and she was in a wheelchair. And, you know, being a four-year-old, I'd never seen this before. And she, my mom said, just don't say anything, and, you know, be nice. Okay. I didn't say anything. I stared the whole time. <laughs> and so when we went out, my mom said she was very, uh, you know, praise, praises for not saying anything, but guess what? It's not polite to stare. Does that sound like a mom? Yeah. One of the principles of, and I'm going to be touching on this in this series, but family systems um, theory is that the, in, the, in a family system, the person that has the uh, highest anxiety, uh, sort of, others tend to rise to that level, to the person of the highest anxiety. It's not always a mom, but in my family it was. And so I, I did find... Uh, something online that would maybe be helpful here. 
if I can find it. Here we go. I can't keep calm because I have a Jewish mother. Now, Jesus had a very Jewish mother. Maybe we all did, but uh, I like that one. Uh, So Jesus has, um, in in this story, it's about he and his mom, and that's why uh, I picked it out. But I want to tell you a little bit about where this series came from. I was, this summer, you know, I was on sabbatical, and I we had a family reunion with my siblings. I think I shared this a few weeks ago. And I'm going to be saying more about that today, our relationship. But um, in that time, we, we celebrated our parents, and both our mom and dad who are gone, and just the things we were thankful for. It's good to remember what you're thankful for. So we did that. And then we, we reflected on our mom quite a bit, and some of the you know, the, the, not, the things that made her mom. And, um, and then at the same time, I was reflecting on Jesus and what makes Jesus, Jesus. And I just noticed this thing about how, we're going to look at a number of these, but how many times that people came to him and, and put their expectations on him and how he responded to that. And I think we can learn from that. And in fact, I think as we see Jesus, we'll say, I want that. I want what he has. That's my prayer this morning as, as, uh, for you and for me is that we would uh, pray that healing prayer of Jesus in this area of our lives. All right. Uh, so here's our, our plan, the setup. Uh, I'm going to give you some background to this uh, event here that we're going to talk about. Then we're going to talk about Jesus and Mary, their unique relationship, and then Jesus and us. So... Uh, this is a wedding in in Cana, and in the traditional cultures today even, but in first century Judaism, a wedding was, well, it's a big deal everywhere, but it was, it's, a, it's a week-long big deal in traditional cultures. My brother was married in India to a, an Indian woman, and the wedding went for a week. And, uh, you know, I, I, personally, I kind of wanted to get on with things, but... Um, <laughs> It went for a week. Don't don't read into that, but um, and and so it's the, the groom or his family is responsible for hospitality during that week, and it's very likely that Jesus's family of origin, his mom and brothers, uh, were responsible then, uh, or were, were connected to this groom's family who were responsible for uh, people having a good time and, and having the refreshments to do that. So it would be a major faux pas to run out of uh, those refreshments. And it's a, it would be a social embarrassment that was a, uh, a shame culture, as it's called, although I think all cultures are shame cultures. <laughs> Everyone I've ever been around has been. But maybe more so in those traditional cultures. And it's odd. Oh, the other thing I should say is that and this isn't... Uh, not everybody would agree with this, but some suggest that it would be a bad omen for the marriage, getting off to a rough start, should you not have a, a good you know, ref, uh, hospitality experience there. So uh, there's, all of that is in the background of, of this story. And it's odd, too, that uh, it seems odd to me, at least, that this is the first miracle that Jesus does, at least the first one that John records. And it's... It's a miracle about preventing a catering disaster. How's that? 
And, you know, it's, it's not on the level of what, what we're going to get down the road, which are, you know, Jesus healing somebody or raising somebody from the dead. I mean, this is, about, we're talking about water turning into wine here. So we have to, we'll explore that a bit. Um, and then uh, more in the background, I think, more interestingly to me at least, is that there's this relationship dynamic between the son and the mother. And it's in transition. Uh, so let's just think back through that a bit. Jesus, we know the, the Christmas story, we call it. <clears throat> we're hearing a lot about Christmas today, but we're not there yet. It's, isn't it beautiful outside, by the way? Isn't, aren't these colors just beautiful? Let's just let fall stay here for a while. Yeah, okay. Anyway, we, we got this uh, Christmas story where Jesus uh, was born miraculously, and Mary has that in her memory. But this is 30 years later. And what did that mean? And uh, the stories that were, you know, these, these prophecies that were made over Jesus, and she knew it was special. She knew he, of course, every mom knows she has a special son, daughter, but this is extra special. What did all that mean? And he's 30 years old now, and, you know, she's nursed him. Uh, she's uh, helped him, picked him up when he couldn't walk. He toddled like we all do, dried the tears from his eyes. All that stuff is in her memory. What does this special thing mean in regard to? to Jesus. His dad died somewhere after age 12 and between this time and then, and he's known as the carpenter, no longer the carpenter's son. He's the provider in the family. He's resourceful. He's all these things, but now he's starting this public ministry. What does this mean? So it's, an, it's a relationship between Jesus and his mother that is in transition, and every relationship in families go through these transitions. This is just, you know, on a different scale. And um, they're trying to navigate, or Mary is doing her best, it seems, to navigate this. Now, you pick up on this also in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus was, um, it, it's, it's one of those weird places in Scripture, because if, if Scripture, as some have said, is simply propaganda to make Jesus look like a miracle worker, then why put this in there? He was overworked, or he was not eating and sleeping because of all of the work he was doing with um, healing people and teaching, whatever else. And his family knew about this, and they came to get him, meaning to take him home. And the phrase there is, because they thought he was out of his mind. That's what his family said about Jesus. Mark chapter 3. You can read it if you want. So in other words, Mary is trying, just like everybody else in these gospel stories, who is he? That's her basic question. And as her mom, she has a little bit of advantage there to answer that as his mom, but not full understanding not yet, and this is part of this story is part of getting there. Have you ever been misunderstood by your family? Are you human? <laughs> it's part of the deal, isn't it? And Jesus knows what that feels like. That should give us some assurance if we're in that place. All right, let's get into. Uh, whoops, I want to go back here. Jesus and Mary. Uh, we're going we're gonna to focus in on verse 4 because it's, it's a very uh, kind of a troubling verse. But I want to begin with verse 3. And I won't, I'm not going to read verses 1 and 2. You heard them, but we're at this wedding. And Mary comes up to her son and says, there is no more wine. Now, do you know what passive-aggressive means? I mean, what is, what, when you hear or when you imagine this, what is it she's saying, really? There is no more wine. What's she saying, though? Do something. Yeah. Do something. You all have moms. I get it. All right. 
Um, it's not just moms, though. We, we all... So do something, and, and there's a should that comes with that. Now, Mary uh, may be feeling some kind of guilt here a little bit. There's some who have suggested that Jesus was invited to this uh, deal because he was associated with the family that knew the groom. But who were these other 12 guys who was with him? You know, the disciples come along, and therefore the refreshments get depleted, right? I mean, that... That could be there. Maybe they're, uh, they're all young guys and big eaters and whatever, you know. All right. That could be in there. And she has this sixth sense, again, of probably uh, trying to head off social embarrassment. And those of you who have this gift of hospitality, this is part of that gift. You, you, want, you don't want to have these meltdown things, scenes or whatever you want to call them. You want everybody to be happy. And uh, it, it kind of goes with that. So um, uh, Mary has this anxiety, it seems, and she wants to share her anxiety with her son. This is how it works in family systems. One person has some anxiety, and they share it. Now, it's not always bad. This is, this is just kind of how it works. And we're going to look at that more closely here as we go. But... Um, um, be resourceful, Jesus, and help us prevent this social disaster is where it starts. Okay, verse 4. This is where we, ha- we are troubled, and the translation here is, is, um, is troubling in every, in every Bible. I'm going to do my best to try to help you. I am missing something here. Uh, okay, prayers available. Anybody like to go back? and I need... I'm missing uh, some slides here. All right, what did I do? Okay, I, I yield control. Here we go. So, okay, here we go, verse four, right there. I'm in the dark now, but it's okay. Um, this word, gynai, what would we get from that word, by the way? Gynecologist, some of you know that word, and um, it means it means woman, but it's translated here, dear woman. In the in the in the Greek text, the original text, there's no deer in there; it's just woman. And so, why have translators put the deer in there? Because it just seems what too harsh, right? I mean, and this is Jesus, and he wouldn't be harsh to his mother, right? That's kind of how we. So they're trying to help us out here by putting that word in there. So it's just woman. And then the NIV says, woman, why do you involve me? And uh, literally, I want to break this down a little bit, but it means, it's an idiom or a saying in that culture, that, and it would translate literally, what to me and to you, which means nothing to me and to you, right? I mean, what does that mean? So the meaning... Uh, these, these are two suggestions here that it, it probably means something like, what do you and I have in common regarding this request that you're making or this, this, this social uh, embarrassment here? Or uh, you have no claims on me in regard to this. Uh, you, get the, you get the point here? And so just the tone of it, uh, commentators will say, it's not as harsh as it sounds, but it is a bit abrupt for Jesus to say this to his mom. Remember, they're redefining their relationship. This is part of that. And so it creates some distance between 
son and mother. Some appropriate distance, but it's not, it's not rude. It's just a bit abrupt. And uh, that's the best way to try to explain uh, the dynamics of we would call it today in, in psychology we would say she, he's drawing some boundaries if that helps explain this a bit so they're redefining the relationship and um, in one sense Jesus answers her with a no no I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do but in another sense he answers her with a bigger yes than she could have ever imagined okay so let's just take a little bit of time on that one. The no is, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do out of social obligation or pressure or what your expectations are on me. Uh, I'm sure he cares about this uh, young couple, and he doesn't want them to have a, you know, get their marriage off to a rough start. I mean, that's probably in there somewhere, but that's not what he's going to do here. He's going to go way beyond what she asks, and in that place were six, they're called jars, stone jars, but these are big. Each one holds 30 gallons of water. So there's six of them. How many? Six times 30. What is it? 180. You guys, yeah, you're on it. So there's 180 gallons of water here that are used for ceremonial washing related to the Old Testament law. And uh, this was part of the rituals of the past that we, you know, were, were part of their life. Uh, religious stuff you did. And what Jesus is doing is he's replacing the things from the past with something new, the new wine of the future. And that new wine symbolizes, I'm, I'm going to give you three things, but there's probably more. Okay, It symbolizes the joy of the coming kingdom. That's big. This is, this is about joy. Weddings are about joy. The joy of the coming kingdom, new wine. It symbolizes, it seems, because there's a reference here to uh, my time has not yet come. What is his time? His time is the, is the cross or the passion of Christ in the last week of his earthly life. And his blood is spilled there. And the wine is a symbol, as we know, of communion, a symbol of his blood. That that's a symbol of that future event for him. But it is also a symbol, and maybe most basically, that all things are new. All things are new. All things are new or going to be made new. And that's a promise for each of us. Isn't that wonderful? All things are new. It's not just the same old world that we've always lived in. The sun also rises. Yeah, it comes up tomorrow. keeps coming up. But there will be a day where everything will be made new. So it's a huge statement, what he's doing here. Way beyond the uh, faux pas of the moment. All right. Now... um, Jesus and us, are you, let's go there because I want to, if I can do this without creating too much chaos. All right, Jesus and us. I want to give you three, um, oh, let, me, let me make this comment before I give you these three principles from uh, family th- uh, system theory, is that I, I always want to be careful when I use psychology or overuse psychology uh, without reference to something that's more important, which is theology, and in this case, related to Jesus and who he is. But I'm going to use these three principles from family um, system therapy or theory. And um, we'll see how they work out both in Mary's life and in the life of Jesus. And hopefully that'll just shed some light for us on how we live our lives. And back to where we started, 
get us into a prayer for something we see in Jesus that we want for ourselves. So here's the first one. As anxiety goes up, the urge to control others goes up. Okay? And there's a corollary to that one, but, but just think of it. Anxiety goes up inside of you. What is it that is, a, is sort of a, follows on that impulse? Is it a desire to control? This is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, if you're a pilot who's flying an airplane and you have some anxiety about what's going on, you want that pilot to try to control the plane, do you not? I mean, just thinking of a car, whatever. Parenting, whatever it is, it's okay, it's how we're made, but if it's overplayed, we're in trouble, okay? So I want to give you a story from my, my own family of origin here. This is, and this relates to Mary, and then we'll get on to Jesus. When my mom died... Um, I didn't, didn't know this at the time, but she left a letter behind that she had put a lot of thought into. And I mentioned earlier, my mom sort of, at least in her mind, she kind of held the world together through worry. And um, yeah, and somehow this world was going to have to go on after she died. So this is the letter. And um, it was meant to be shared with myself and my siblings, but my dad was the one who found it, and he read it, and he didn't just immediately share it with all of us, but I guess the fact that I'm a pastor, he decided to share it with me and ask my opinion about it. Well, in this letter, um, my mom's anxiety and uh, wanting to control things beyond her life came through, and it, it was actually kind of hurtful as I heard it, because it was about her great worry that we, meaning myself and my three siblings, would not get along. And by the way, early in life, we gave her plenty of reasons to worry about that. <laughs> but that we would not get along beyond her death. That she had somehow, through her momming, she had kind of kept us all in line. And, and, you know, I don't know. It was a worry she had. And it came through. But in the letter, it came across as she didn't trust us. Or that's how I felt. So it was kind of hurtful for me to read it. So I told my dad, I said, you know, I don't think this is going to be helpful for all of us to hear. <laughs> and it was never shared with my siblings. I think that was the right call. Um, I'm not into family secrets, but that just, I don't think it would have been very helpful. But here's the cool part. This is the part I, I want you to hear, because there's an alternative to this. And that is that when... We, we do get along. We do get along. And all credit to my mom and my dad for parenting us well, because that's probably why we do get along. But it's not the worry and the control that have caused us to get along. It's the fact that we have chosen to love each other. See, that's the difference. And when you, you make that choice to love each other, the anxiety and the control can go away. Great application for any family system. A well-differentiated person. So now we're talking about Jesus. This is a phrase from uh, family systems theory. A well-differentiated person. I want you to think of Jesus as a well-differentiated person. And these are two uh, points there. I could have brought in others, but I, 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 I see these in the story. Oh, they can act in, a, in the best interest of others out of a thoughtful choice, not out of pressure from others. And this is what, if we're, if we're parenting well, we would want this for our children. 
that we would not want to pressure. I mean, I, I think we all know that, that we wouldn't want to pressure them to try harder, do better, perform better. We would want them to make it a thoughtful choice in their lives. I mean, obviously, that's what we would want. But it doesn't, knowing that doesn't keep us from trying to do it. But you see Jesus here refusing to give in to Mary's agenda for what he, she wants him to do or manipulation of what she might want him to do. He is well-differentiated. And he defines himself, uh, this person, this well-differentiated person defines himself or herself without being pushy and deals with pressure to yield without being uh, wishy-washy. So you see this in Jesus. He's not pushy. And you need to know this about Jesus. He is not a pushy person. Um, in this story, he, it's actually hidden that he's the one that does all this. No one knows this except for Mary and a few servants, it says, and his disciples. Everyone else at the, at the party doesn't even know. He's not there to say, I'm a big deal. When the steward of the wedding discovers that the best wine has been saved for last, Jesus doesn't go up to him and say, well, I'm pretty much responsible for that. You can thank me for that. Jesus is not interested in being that big deal. He's not pushing himself on to others. He has no need to be confirmed from the outside in. We'll come back to that one. And then the second thing is he's not wishy-washy either. He doesn't just, he's well differentiated. We would say boundaried, but he, he knows what he wants to do and he does it. And it's not a result of pleasing other people or peer pressure. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you see something here in Jesus that you would want for yourself or for your children or, or your grandchildren? Well, let's see, one more. Number three. The identity of a highly differentiated personality radiates inside out. This is, this is from family systems theory. This is, you'd think that this was out of a, a book on the life of Jesus, but it's, it's inside out identity, not outside in. Inside out meaning there's, some, there's, a, there's a solid core to who he is. And we talked about this two weeks ago when we looked at his baptism, when he heard the words from God the Father, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is the solid core of who Jesus is, that he, it never leaves him. He is loved at the core. And he, he lives outward from that truth. The other way around is when you depend on other people, you have a need for other people to tell you how great you are. You see none of that in Jesus. Unlike some figures in our culture. And like, you know, well, maybe everybody. But we love to have our identity established outside in as opposed to inside out. And when you see it, though, when you see it in a person who's got it from the inside out, you say, I want that. I want that. In fact, verse 11 says, his disciples saw his glory. I'm, we don't know what that means. In other words, um, the miracle, uh, well, like I said earlier, I mean, it's not like he raised somebody from the dead. He changed water into wine. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I said, I said the symbolism of that, but would the disciples have understood the symbolism of that? I don't think it was the miracle that caught their eye that said, I want to have what he has. I want to follow him. I want to put my faith in him. That's just what it says. They saw his glory and they put their faith in him. Isn't that, I mean, they saw into the core of who he was, who, who his identity was. They saw his lack of need for having to be a big deal. 
They saw how boundaried he was and how he treated his mother with respect, but she, he didn't give in to the peer pressure thing that was going on there. Who is this guy? He is so different than anyone we've ever seen before. That's his glory. And his glory, I mean, if you can see it, and remember, he's not pushy. He's not going to push his glory onto you or to me. You cannot force spiritual things, another way to say it. It has to be invited in. And the opportunity to make that new to you right now, if it's the first time or the hundredth time or whatever, you can do that. Just say, Lord Jesus, I see your glory and I want that in my life. I want that in my life or I want that in my relationships. I want that for my children. Whatever that prayer is for you, let's just pause now as we close and pray to the Lord, the Lord of life. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, loving, living Lord, who is the same yesterday at a wedding in Cana, today at this church, or forever in the future. You are the same. Come into our hearts, Lord. Come into at least the thirsty and hungry hearts that want new wine who have caught a glimpse of your glory and how different you are, how refreshing you are. Lord, come into that desire with your real presence, without any pressure, without any anxiety, without any urge to control. We let go and say, come, Lord Jesus, make our hearts new. We pray this in your name. Amen.